We're happy to have in studio now Michael Easley, U.S. Eastern District Attorney. Welcome back to WPTF. Thank you so much. It's good to be back. It's been uh, quite a while since I've been in the studio, and the last time I was in the studio, it was as a humble and lowly intern to the one and only Mike Raley. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. Let's talk about some more pressing matters. Now, recently two North Carolina men were sentenced to and fined for possession of a Glock or an auto switch sear. Uh, for those who maybe don't understand what that is or why those are so important to get off the streets, can you elaborate as to why your office thought it was so important to get those auto sear switches off the streets? Yeah, absolutely. So as the United States Attorney, I'm the top federal law enforcement official for the Eastern District of North Carolina. Carolina. That's the 44 counties from Raleigh to the coast. And one of the most important missions that we have in the U.S. Department of Justice is to keep Americans safe. One of the greatest threats that we face is the growing rise and concern around gun violence in our communities. Uh, law enforcement, they're putting their lives on the line every day, and quite often they feel that they're being outgunned by folks in our communities that are not just carrying guns who are dangerous felons, but also fully automatic machine guns. You know, it's not been since the 1980s that folks were worried about drug traffickers and violent offenders carrying Uzis in their cars. Uh, But we're running into those yet again today in 2023. This time it's not an Uzi, and it's not a long gun machine gun from a Rambo movie. It is a simple Glock semi-automatic weapon that you can buy from any gun store, which has what's called a switch inserted in the back of that gun. That switch is a conversion device that converts a simple semi-automatic gun into a fully automatic machine gun that can dump a hundred rounds in a matter of seconds. Wow. For those who say maybe you're over-regulating the gun industry, what's your response to that? Look, we're enforcing the laws that are on the books, and there is no world where folks need to be carrying fully automatic machine guns on the streets of Raleigh uh, or anywhere in the United States of America for that matter. Uh, And the folks that we've charged in these cases, these are gang members. These are folks who have been involved in retaliatory violence. And something we're very concerned about is the proliferation and the spread of these fully automatic auto sear switches among very dangerous offenders. So, you know, I'll take the first case as one example. Uh, Lamika Baptist, this is a 19-year-old guy who shot spotter alerted 20 rounds had been fired off. They arrived at the scene, found 20 shell casings. All had been fired in a very short period of time, and he was caught uh, with a ghost gun that had been outfitted with this machine gun and was firing at rival gang members. That's the kind of indiscriminate shooting that puts danger in these neighborhoods. And by the way, none of these gang members can aim worth a darn. And these Glock switches can fire off indiscriminately in all manner of directions with an untrained person who doesn't know how to handle it. And this is a rain of bullets falling out in a residential neighborhood. That's not going to be acceptable, and the people in North Carolina aren't going to stand for it, and neither are we. We're visiting with Michael Easley, U.S. Eastern District Attorney. What other steps, other than these lawsuits and getting these folks off the street, what other steps are you and your office taking to rein in some of these uh, auto sears switches that are on the streets? Well, a lot of people think of gun violence and violent crime as a, as a local state district attorney problem. But the United States Department of Justice and we in the U.S. Attorney's Office are stepping in to do everything we can to work alongside our local partners to combat that threat. So here in Raleigh, we've launched a violent crime action plan, and it's got a few priorities. Number one, strategic and focused targeting on the shooters and the serial trigger pullers in our communities and doing everything we can to get them off of our streets. Number two is focusing on the gun traffickers those who are putting guns in the hands of dangerous felons, those who shouldn't be able to buy them in natural gun stores, but that have other people who are straw purchasers, 
go buy guns for them, and then traffic them into our communities and in the hands of dangerous gangs. And the third priority area focuses on ghost guns, non-serialized guns, which make it harder for law enforcement to trace, as well as fully automatic ghost guns uh, like those we've seen in these cases. And these two defendants got six and a half years in federal prison and 13 and a half years in federal prison, and they'll serve every day without any parole. And there was also some fines that were associated with that as well. So it's not just the time in prison that that, that you're trying to use to, to discourage people from doing this. It's also the fines they have to pay. The mere possession of one of these fully automatic switches that goes in the back of one of these guns uh, can trigger up to 10 years in federal prison as well as a $250,000 fine. You mentioned law enforcement earlier feeling, in your words, outgunned on the streets. What steps are you taking to help our law enforcement community combat some of these guns that we're seeing on the streets? Well, as federal prosecutors, we cannot just sit in the ivory tower and wait for cases to come to us. We are getting out of our office and in the trenches alongside law enforcement on a biweekly basis to sit shoulder to shoulder with them and talk about what the greatest threats are in their community and then coming up with proactive solutions on how we can use legal tools to target some of these violent gangs and offenders. That could be using things like the RICO statute or going at organized crime and racketeering groups, drug trafficking groups with a broader systematic approach, drawing on federal law enforcement to come in and work alongside our state and local partners. Do you, do you feel like law enforcement, knowing that you have their back, are, are they happy? I mean, are you hearing from law enforcement that says, thank you for doing this, thank you for helping us out? Every time I get the chance uh, to talk to one of our men and women who puts on a badge and a gun every day, I remind them that the American people have got their backs and that we in federal law enforcement and we in the federal prosecutor's office have got their backs. We're going to do everything we can to help get violent crime under control and partner with them day in and day out. Federal is not better than state, is not better than local. We're all different. We're all a team, and we all bring different skills to the table. Michael Easley, U.S. Eastern District Attorney, still with us for a few more minutes. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about drug trafficking and how much of an issue that has become in North Carolina. What have you and your office seen about drug trafficking so far in our state, in particular the eastern half of our state? Yeah, look, drug trafficking remains a top priority in our mission. It's something that's personal to me. My, my law enforcement background ties back to family ties. Both my parents were former drug prosecutors, and it's something I take a lot of pride in doing. I'm the first United States attorney in the Eastern District of North Carolina who's from Eastern North Carolina in over 30 years. And uh, to know and have been across all 44 of these counties chasing uh, deer and turkey and red drum my whole life, I care about the people who live here. And what we're seeing in Eastern North Carolina and this country more broadly is a startling proliferation and spread of fentanyl in our communities. Fentanyl is a drug unlike any other we have ever seen. It has the ability to hijack the human mind and drive addiction and overdose at an unprecedented rate. Over 100,000 people dead last year alone from fentanyl-related overdoses. That's of grave concern to us. And one of the things we can do as federal prosecutors alongside the DEA and the ATF and FBI is take a global view of where this supply chain is coming from and approach it with three different strategies that we're using here. Number one, we're trying to tackle and get after the the supply and the traffickers that are bringing this here, the international players that are bringing fentanyl to our communities. Number two, the distribution network. Those who are on the street putting fentanyl laced sometimes into drugs when when the consumers, the buyers, the users don't even know there's fentanyl in these drugs. 
and then finally to go after their finances because we know that degrading their network is going to require going after the money laundering and the finances that are fueling the profits of these organizations. And so we take that three-prong approach in everything that we do. Let me piggyback on those. First, you talk about where these drugs are coming from. Where are we seeing most of these drugs coming into from other parts of the country? Well, the two biggest concerns that we have are ultra-high purity meth which is laced into all kinds of drugs, and fentanyl, which is also laced oftentimes into pressed pills that are made to look like legitimate prescription medications sold on the street, but one in every five of those pills has potentially a deadly dose in it. Now, that's not all happening or being created here in North Carolina. This isn't meth that's cooked in a bathtub in Bertie County. This is a complicated international supply chain where Chinese companies supply precursor chemicals to Mexican cartels. They arrive at ports in Mexico where they are baked and cooked in clandestine laboratories in Mexico. They're smuggled into this country, and they make their way through domestic supply chains all the way to every corner of every county in eastern North Carolina. And if we're going to attack this, you cannot just arrest and focus on the folks who are the nickel and dimers on the streets. You've got to focus on the broader organizations and the networks. And I'm proud to say that at this moment, we have more ongoing organized crime and drug trafficking investigations in the U.S. Attorney's Office than we've ever had in the history of the district. You mentioned hitting their finances. How do you do that? Well, we have very powerful money laundering laws. So we're very focused on training law enforcement on how to recognize bulk cash smuggling. We have I-95 and I-40, two major interstates that run right through the heart of North Carolina, particularly the east. And when you have those major thoroughfares, they are huge routes for drug trafficking and cash smuggling. And so we can train law enforcement officers on how to recognize where drugs may be concealed in a car, where cash may be concealed, and then seize those assets, flip and get cooperators to work work undercover confidentially on behalf of law enforcement to then roll up the chain to bigger and broader investigations. In our, our case, we're pushing all the way back to Mexico, and we'll move to extradite people and send them here and put them in front of an Eastern North Carolina judge and see how they fare. Michael Easley, U.S. Eastern District Attorney, visiting with us in studio today. I want to ask about human trafficking. That's been a big topic for among a lot of circles. Are we making any headway in North Carolina as it relates to human trafficking? We are. Number one, we're seeing tips are, are always up, and North Carolina is in the top 10 states in the nation for the number of tips to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. I want to encourage all your listeners, there are many crimes that they won't ever encounter, but human trafficking is one where any one of us could be a witness. You have to be alert and be vigilant and look for the signs of human trafficking. Look for instances where someone may seem uncomfortable or be cordoned off or separated, um, not allowed to speak uh, when uh, encountered with, not carrying their own identification, where you have uh, uh, someone who is doing things to limit their mobility or their agency, their ability to act on their own. And when we get those tips, we're following up on them. We've launched now a human trafficking task force here in the Triangle area. We're hopefully about to launch one in Wilmington that will get all law enforcement as well as victim advocates and support services together to figure out how we can best save people uh, who are being trafficked. It's absolutely happening right here in this community. Some really high numbers in the past across our state. I think Charlotte was in the top 10, top 15 at one point for people that were human trafficked. Have we seen those numbers start to go down statewide? I don't know that we can say we've seen the numbers go down, but what I want to see is uh, our prosecutions go up. 
These are very hard and very difficult cases to bring, in part because the victims, they haven't had a perfect life. These often are folks who are down on their luck, who may, may be addicted to drugs. They may have gotten addicted to drugs because someone who's manipulating them has hooked them on drugs so they can better control these people. And so when you look at a victim of human trafficking, it's often not the perfect person. It's often not the perfect victim or the perfect witness who's lived the purest life. These are folks who are down on their luck who have lived a hard life. And one of the things we've got to get good at in law enforcement is coming alongside those sad and lonely and cast aside and broken people and putting our arm around them and saying, I believe you. And we're going to tell your story and we're going to get justice and give them the courage to come forward and tell the truth. As we look forward to 2024, outside of these initiatives we've talked about, there's a lot going on for you and your office. What are the other initiatives that you and your office are looking forward to next year? So, look, we are surging resources on violent crime. We're going to continue to hammer drug traffickers that are causing overdoses and death in our communities. And human trafficking will be a major priority, and you'll see more of that in the new year. But we're also really focused on fraud and white-collar prosecutions. Those who engage in fraud against taxpayers, who are taking taxpayer money that's meant to help the least among us and using it to line their own pockets, they're going to face a reckoning in, in, in 2024. We've got a number of folks who were involved in applying for fraudulently for PPP loans, right? Money that was meant to bail out those who were struggling small businesses in the heart of the pandemic when in fact that money was being used and taken by people who lied about having businesses, who lied about the number of employees they had so they could do additions to their homes or buy new trucks or buy fancy cars. The government's going to come back for that money. And uh, I hope that your listeners will, if they are aware of that kind of fraud or they know people who have engaged and taken money out of the taxpayer's pocket to fill their own coffers, I hope they'll speak up. And we'd love to hold people accountable who are trying to take from the least among us. All right. I want to come back full circle uh, with you. We started talking about how you were an intern here at WPTF in the Mike Raley School of Broadcasting. Can you give us a, a Michael Easley WPTF news as we close things down today? You bet. Uh, my days working alongside Mike Raley were some of the finest, but he said I had to work on my intonation. I think I sounded a little too much like I'm from Nash County. And so he said I had to get it right. So I'd sign off. This is Michael Easley, WPTF News. That's great. He's going to be so proud of that. Michael Easley, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for being in studio, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you so much.